Welcome back to American Scuttlebutt. I'm here today with Mr. Diacunto, who's going to talk to us about the progressive era and our favorite, Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. Theodore. Theodore. To most. Actually, you know, I wasn't going to focus on him so much, but the square deal. Are you familiar with the square deal? Yes. Now, I, <laughs> Is that the I question? Know, that's part of it. You are familiar with it. You've heard I of it. I know of it. Are you familiar with where the origin of the term square deal comes from. Isn't he talking about a card game? And he, I remember a quote where he's talking about a card game. Card like, game. if you're playing cards, yeah. you want a square deal. You don't want someone to cheat oh, you. Like Something like that. cards. Something That's like that. I didn't come across that in But my, why uh, square? Square. Are there four parts to it? Like, there's four corners of a four, square? Well, four corners is very important. In a square, there's four corners. Yeah. Also, uh, if you go back to American history... In the early 1870s, you know, this is how far back this goes. The actual first iteration is in newspapers in 1871. And a square deal was where you had uh, plots of land being sold mm-hmm. out in the West. And so if you think of, like, uh, looking from the, uh, you know, like a, like a top view, you know, looking down, all the plots of land look like little squares. Right. right? So it was a deal for land was a square oh. deal. Uh, so uh, later on, they used the term to describe fairness right. in deals. So some kind of fair deal, which later on will be taken by uh, Truman. President Truman would use the term fair deal. Uh, in this case, you know, we talk about square deal and, and the, his domestic policies, tru- uh, not Truman's, but President Roosevelt's domestic uh, policies. So a couple of things about Teddy Roosevelt. What do we know about Teddy Roosevelt when he was younger, in his young days? Um, I know that he was in the Spanish-American War, right? The Rough Riders. Rough he Riders. quit his job. He was, oh, I forget what he did, but he was pretty high up in the government. And Secretary he, of the Navy. Right. And he was like, I'm going out to fight, which was not his job at that point. Yeah, at that point, you know, he's he's a, a kind of a troublemaker mm-hmm. for the politicians. He's a guy that uh, uh, told people how to do their job. Like even uh, back when he was younger, he would tell the professors how to do their job in, in school. He was a sickly child. Mm-hmm. Then he moved up the ranks uh, in pol- uh, politics and was a police commissioner of New York. And he would go around uh, looking in, in the evening uh, for what if the police were doing their job, if they were doing their duty. And he would yell and scream and get you know get them in trouble. And he would. He would try and uh, normalize the pol- you know the modern day police force basically, but by the time he gets to the Secretary of Navy position, the other politicians are saying, "Well, he's kind of a troublemaker. He's causing problems because it's a time of reform in the late 1800s." Yeah, he's politics. not causing problems. He wants to fix things, but that's a problem for people who yes, do it wrong in the exactly. first place. The political ills of the time, part mm-hmm. of corruption, and you know just people doing their job. He felt that, that they needed to do it just like everybody else to be fair, and so he always got promoted because they didn't want him doing that at the job he was at. So he finally got promoted to the point when he was in Secretary of the Navy, right. and the president tells him, hey, if you want to go fight in uh, uh, the, uh, the Spanish-American War, go ahead. You know, they, was kinda, they were kind of hoping that he would get shot and killed. Oh my gosh. And then they would, you know, and then he didn't die. And so what do you do? You know, the, let's put him in a position where he will cause no problem. Let's make him vice president of the United States. Oh, there yeah. we go. And that's why they made him vice president of the United States on the McKinley, and then McKinley gets shot, right? Yeah, so now what? The ultimate irony. Ultimate now irony. Now he's, he's everybody's boss. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he's using uh, the term square deal as early as 1899. And when is he president, Mr. D, he to is, clear that up? He is president in 1901, September of 1901. Right, when um, McKinley's assassinated. When McKinley gets shot. In 1899, he uses the term a square deal because he's talking about uh, appointing people 
the the people he would choose in uh, these political jobs, these governmental jobs. And one of his quotes from that time period is um, that he wanted to uh, base the uh, people getting jobs and and, and uh, better jobs, you know, um, on their merit, you know, not on their name. So fairness as a square, giving a man or a person a chance uh, to to do the job, you know, and do it right based on what they could do and not who they who their friends were. So it kind of goes back to the spoil system. Jackson. Oh. Yes, yeah, so back to Jackson and the spoil system where uh, same idea, uh, uh, you know, back then the president could do those things for political favors. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt's going the opposite way, uh, hiring people who are right for the job. And he's going to use it again in his domestic policy in 1901. And, and there's, a, there's some quotes and paraphrasing um, that he would give economic opportunity. I mean, this is his goals president in 1901. Economic opportunity to a rich man as equal to the poor man. Uh, he would give social opportunity. He talks about working side by side with soldiers that are white and who are black in the Spanish-American War. And he says that, that you know, uh, in war, uh, they all bleed red and every man should have an equal opportunity or a square deal. You know, that social differences shouldn't make, uh, shouldn't make a problem and give everyone equal opportunity. So he's, he's very progressive. He's the term progressive now mm-hmm. for the time. It's somebody who is forward thinking, thinking about equality of others, even though during the time period, maybe it was seen as odd or different and uh, you know, didn't make sense to the normal American at the time. And he's kind of our first progressive president, right? In the set of, of presidents we kind of consider. Yeah. I think it depends on how you define right. what progressivism is. You know, it's it's it should be the goal is that government is taking on kind of the ills or the social ills. Um, one of the things I researched was that it's, it's government action to mitigate. Right. Government action to lessen social evil. Right. And that's what he was doing. And you could see other presidents doing that, but it might not have called it progressivism at the time. Mm-hmm. And you look back at the Federalists and Anti-Federalists, I guess Alexander Hamilton was kind of a progressive because he wanted government action to mitigate, you know, a debt by the states. Right. You know, in, in, uh, or or, or uh, uh, all, all the different states having different money and wanting to assume the debt to create a bank mm-hmm. in the United States. I mean, that would be an example, I guess, a very progressive for the time period. Um, but then I researched more on the square deal. Okay. Remember, you had mentioned that we should always remember three letters. Three C's. The three C's. Do you know what the three C's are? I know. I I can remember, I think, two of them. Consumers, like protecting the consumer. Consumer protection. Consumer well. protection. Conservation. Conservation of, of natural, land. Not natural resources or land. Um, and one was third labor-related. Uh, so I put a C. Yeah, I know that. It's like the other word for businesses. Corporations. Corporations. There we go. Control of corporations. So again, the three C's. Conservation of natural resources, control of corporations, and consumer protection. I'm going to talk about each one of those. All right? Uh, The first one, conservation of natural resources. We have, we're growing, growing as a country at this time. We have more and more businesses that are taking from the land. um, And... His hope was that we needed to save the land for future generations. And so some of those acts that he did uh, were to use the Forest Reserve Act, which had been implemented before, but he's one of the first presidents to to use it multiple times. And that was to reserve federal land. So we have Ocala National Forest. We have Yellowstone National Forest. You know, we have these... Yosemite. Yosemite. You know, all of these now, these, these, these millions of acres of land that could be used for future generations. 
and you know we're finding resources on them and every now and then the government uses some of these resources but uh, he was one of the, the first president to use that act um, to to its extent you know he's the father of I guess you could say of, of the um, the national forest system um, then you've got the Newlands Reclamation Act I don't know if you would want to memorize that but it's irrigation for farmers it mm-hmm. was a way to conserve the land and not waste the resources but for the government to um, kind of be able to balance you know the the, the farmers needs for water and uh, the earths you know so that's another one for conservation the second part was the labor piece this is mm. control of corporations so he's known as as well what do we remember him the as? trust buster he's the trust buster right a trust a conglomerate a, the, a group of uh, uh, rich people really rich investors people. Yeah, investors controlling you know one industry right right for their own profit which I guess that's the American way, but at the same time, is that equality for other businesses and is, is that going to lead to innovation in, in other fields? Not necessarily. Two things to remember from, from the three C's, you know, uh, control of corporations, the Interstate Commerce Commission. Oh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Government controls prices that the railroad can charge. So, and that's such a huge issue in yeah. this time period, especially um, later my Florida frou-frou is going to involve the farmers. That's right. And one of the biggest issues with the farmers and the Farmers Alliance is that they can't afford to ship their products anymore because the the railroad companies are charging whatever they want. There's no regulation. Right. And it's a monopoly. They can do whatever they want because there's no more competition left. And if you continue laissez-faire economics, the naturally, you know, what would happen is you would only have, you know, one railroad deciding the prices and the farmers would go, you know, belly up. Uh, The government here steps in and tries to lower that, not destroy the railroads, but be able to have a fairness, or in this case, a square deal between both labor um, consumer and, and business owner. Mm-hmm. The other one, the key here is the is the coal strike, 1902. Mm. This is the first time the president took the side of labor. Um, this way, he's using the Sherman Antitrust Act. That's the old act from the 1890s. Um, and that law he's using to uh, regulate business. And he said that there were two different kinds of trusts. There were bad trusts and... Good trusts. And good trusts. Um, you had to regulate the good trusts and get rid of the bad trusts. So an example here would be Standard Oil. Standard Oil is a good trust that needed to be regulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually those companies are going to be broken up. Those gas and oil companies will be broken up. The railroad needs to be there. We need that, you know, uh, for the farmers. But it needs to be regulated. The ICC is going to do that. The last C... We had conservation, control of corporations, and now consumer protection. And this is for normally for the this is for the people, right? Because mm-hmm. the people, the people who buy stuff, people right? buy stuff, right? All of us now. We're living now in a time period in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, nineteen twenties, eventually where you're going to have more consumer products and, and, and merchandising. What um, one was the Elkins Act? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was for farmers to have equal access of services of the railroad. Kind of goes along with control of corporations, but in this case, the consumer being protected is the farmer. And of course, we know the Pure Food and Drug Act and the Meat Inspection Act. Now, Ms. Velasquez, these are really products of a literature mm-hmm. that has came out during the time period. Do you know what that is? Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. The Jungle, right. What's that one about? Well, Upton Sinclair is a muckraker, which is a term coined by Teddy Roosevelt, right? He's going to investigate all of the uh, not-so-nice goings-ons of these companies. So one of the things he does find is in the meat industry is that 
it was gross. I don't know what other way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, pretty gross. Horrifying. Um, <laughs> like rat poop in your food. Yes. People chopping off fingers and whoop, there it goes. <laughs> like food is rotting and then they're selling it to the consumers. So yeah, there's a huge need to protect the consumers from bad food yeah, yeah. or like bad drug like you know they'd use all kinds of stuff in sure in and, medicine yeah and, and and i mean just sugar and salt i mean sugar is a luxury good you know and it's cheap enough for most people to get but if the business can take out you know at what point i always tell my students at what point if i took a pound of sugar and i added i don't know let's say i took a half of that pound away and added a, let's say a half a pound of sand right you know you mix it up you taste the sand Right. But at what point would you not taste the sand anymore? You know, that's what businesses are trying to do. They're ha- adding additives that aren't good for us, and they literally put sand in the sh- in sugar. You know, so uh, things like the Upton Sinclair uh, novel, um, The Jungle, and he also wrote a novel called Oil about mm. the about the oil industry as well, um, led to the Pure Food and Drug Act and the Meat Inspection Act of 1906. Now, this leads a resurgence of progressivism for future presidents. You know, fairness and equality, uh, protection of the consumers. The three C's, conservation, control of corporations, consumer protection. Now, uh, he's, he dies um, pretty much right after his presidency. He goes away, comes back, runs for president a, a third time. Doesn't necessarily win. Woodrow Wilson takes over. During Wilson's presidency, um, Teddy Roosevelt dies in bed of a blood clot in the lung. Oof. He complains about not feeling so good. Goes to bed. His last words are uh, to his uh, his his manservant, you know, that lived in his mansion. You know, make sure you turn out the light. And that was like his last thing he said. But I came across this uh, quote, and it was by the vice president of the time, Vice President Marshall, who says, "Death had to take President uh, Roosevelt sleeping, for if he had been awake, it would have been a fight." Huh. That's great. That's good. Yeah. That's a good good way to end Teddy and the the three C's of the square deal, adding to progressivism uh, in this section of our 1920s uh, progressive uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. There you go. What's coming up next? Well, I think uh, we have our history crush. Oh, can't wait. Florida Fru Fru. I'm going to get that in the first one. You think? I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Okay, we'll see. Okay. Hi, and welcome back to History Crush. This is the part of American Scuttlebutt where one of us has a crush on somebody in history. In the given time period, of course, this being the progressive time period. Of course. Yes, and uh, this time Ms. Velasquez uh, has chosen three clues where she must stump me. Try to, are you trying to stump me? Always. Or are, you, or are you trying to get me to know and remember the history? Both of those things. At the same time. Yeah. And our audience here for the U.S. History EOC, which, which, is, which is close at hand. Mm-hmm. That's going to be in May here in the state of Florida. So uh, you're ready for your three clues. I'm so ready. And now uh, each clue, I get an opportunity to say who I think it is, who the crush is, right? Right. All right. Okay. All right, let's go. I'm going to start with the dates, because that's what you always do. I do. The I, dates. I like starting with the dates. Okay. I like the dates. Born in 1855. Ooh, who's president then? Yeah, who Franklin is? Franklin Pierce? It is. You always ask me, so I was ready for it. And died, this person died in 1925. 25? Yeah. Is Coolidge president? It is. It All is. right. Good job. That I know my That's president? not a clue. That's just like a, like a little the taste. context clue. That's yeah, yeah. Pierce to Coolidge. Historical context. Historical context. Okay. My first clue. I'm so excited. Okay. Let me get you this time. Okay. All right. My first clue. This person was a vegetarian 
who married a radical feminist. <laughs> a vegetarian who married a radical feminist. Now, And by feminist, think about the time period. What's going to be the women's issue? Now, the time period is uh, progressivism. Right. right. After populism. So we're talking uh, a social ill is happening and there's change that needs to be happening. Government is going to be responsible for that change and not charitable individuals or, or organizations anymore. Government's got to, got to fix the problems. Um, plus, so you're saying fe- she's a radical feminist? This person is the, married, married to a radical feminist. Now, see, this might be the trick here is the radical feminist might be a male in this case. That's true. It might, I did not say. <laughs> it might be a male radical feminist. And the female is the vegan. Maybe that's your trick. I said vegetarian, and there oh, is a difference. <laughs> there is a di- okay, sorry to all the vegans and pescatarians out there. <laughs> there are those people who will only eat fruit that is uh, felled from a tree already, not from human hands. Really? Yeah. These people are called crazy. Okay. Anyway, so uh, let's see. So, But I think it's the other way around. I, th- I still think it's the radical feminist is the, is the female in this okay. case. And I think you really want me to go for the vegetarian. And I think you said vegetarian because you wanted me to think of the Meat Inspection Act. Mm. And if you wanted me to think of the Meat Inspection Act in 1906, my guess would be that this is Upton Sinclair. You're wrong. Ah! But you're thinking of all the right things because you're thinking about progressivism, the role of government in like yes. women's suffrage, right. also Meat Inspection Act. So... This is just kind of contextualizing for us. This person does have a very strong role in the progressive era. I mean, there's no way. Okay, I'm not going to say another. Look, okay, do you remember your clue from last time? Everybody go back and listen to his clue from last episode because it was a little out there. I'm just saying. (laughs) So this was an out there one. This is interesting. This was revenge slash slash interesting. Wow, you're so excited to do this today. To not let me get on the first clue. Yeah, because you always get it. But you hooked me. I'm fascinated with that this person is a vegetarian. Although you... Did you say that the person I'm looking for is the vegetarian, right? Yes. This person's a vegetarian. Their spouse is the radical feminist. I'm trying to think of who the radical feminist is now. Maybe I went down the wrong path. I mean, suffrage, right? That's the issue of the period. Suffrage is, is also. getting the right to vote for women. Yeah. So it seems like there's two very important people that there's like a power couple. Mm-hmm. Like they're like... It uh, doesn't matter. You already missed the first clue. Ah, so too bad. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> All right. What's the second clue? Second clue. This might help you. That It's supposed to because it's a clue. It's not supposed to trick me. <laughs> I'm going to walk out. Okay. This person becomes the nominee for president for the Progressive Party in the election of 1924. Progressive Party? 1924 is late for uh, any Progressive Party member, isn't it? Sure. Very late. So it how is. important is this? So this is the vegetarian. This is. Becomes the Progressive Party... Nominee. Nominee. So there's the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Progressive Party huh. in this election. Oh, man. I, now, can you guess who won? Because you know who won, right? You in know. 24? Yeah. In 24 was, let's see, 20 you already was, said it. I said it was Coolidge, Yes, right? so you know that's the guy. This person didn't win. We'll put it that way. Right, this is a loser. So you sure. basically picked a loser for this clue. Absolutely. But a winner <laughs> in other ways. In other when ways. When we get to the end. So what I'm wondering, is this person more important after 1924 or before? Now, if it's before and it's progressive... Maybe I was going the wrong way. You said Meat Inspection Act. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking muckrakers. I'm thinking that. But maybe I should be thinking labor instead. 
Mm. There's a lot of issues in the progressive era, and that's why this is so difficult. There really is. There's so many. I'm just going to, it's going to be a while ago. Is this a man? That's the thing. Well, obviously it has to be because of the 20s. and Right. You know, women weren't running for president during Mm -hmm. that time period. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm... This is a tough one. It really is. I know it is. Did a good job. We'll see. We'll see how the third one goes. I think the third one might help you. Unless I get my... I think think you're holding off on the most important clue. And I'm going to go ahead and just say this. And I'm probably right. Eugene Debs. No! Ah! But you know I love Eugene Debs. I do. That's what I thought. Eugene Debs. It's not Debs. No, no. But a similar type figure. I mean, you know it's a leader in the progressive era. I think we just need the third clue. We need a third clue. So not a socialist. Not a socialist. I thought for sure that was what you were holding off. Progressive party. Progressive party. Man, okay. Okay. This person was an opponent of political bosses. He introduced the concept of direct primary to his state, Wisconsin. I got it Because he was the governor of Wisconsin. Why did I think of this guy? And who is it? It's, uh, well, it's, I don't know exactly how you say his last name because it might be French. I'm not sure either. It's, it I, is French. It is I French. always say Robert La Follette or Robert La Folletti if, if you want him to I be Italian. La Follette. La Follette. I say La Follette. It sounds more French. I don't know. Or is La Follette? Like L-A- an omelette. Like an omelette. No. L <laughs> A space. Space. F O L L E T T E. Right. Follette? Robert La Follette yeah. uh, from Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a great one. Good. Great See, you got it. Man, uh, that's a great one. Wow. See, uh, the beginning really threw you off. Yeah, it threw but me off. But it was interesting, right? He's a vegetarian, but then he ran for president because we usually think of him back in the. Right. Before the 1920s when he's a direct primary. Right. And he's. he's he was known as Fightin' Bob. Right. Fightin' Bob was uh, on, on the radio mm-hmm. yelling his. He's, he, Reminds me of Bernie Sanders. Of he really does. He's so passionate. He's very and passionate. Like, and he kinda, down with the establishment. <laughs> he he kind of looks like Bernie Sanders. He kind of looks like a younger version, I suppose. But um, yeah, fighting Bob. I always called him fighting Bob Square Tie because there's a picture of him mm-hmm. yelling and screaming at a microphone, kind of like what we're doing now. Yeah. And uh, he's got the square tie. He's so Aww. cute. It's adorable. Adorable progressive. There you go. There you have it. There you go. I was not stumped. But it took me three clues. Great job by Ms. Velasquez. That was really good. Yeah, progressive. He's important. He's, He's very important, important, Robert LaFollette. That 17th Amendment, would we have it without him? I don't know. What is that? What's the 17th direct Amendment? Direct primary. Exactly. That's what you just said. Remember that. Stop. 17th Amendment, direct, direct primary. primary. All right. Next up. What do we got next? It's time for Florida Fru-Fru. It's time for Florida Fru-Fru, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Get ready for that. Hi, and welcome back to American Scuttlebutt. This week again, we're doing progressives, and we got Miss Velasquez to give us a little bit of frou frou down here from the sunny state of Florida. Miss Velasquez, what do we got today in the frou frou? <laughs> okay, today's frou frou. I want to talk about the populist party as it existed in well, not necessarily the populist party, but the farmers and their movement as they existed in Florida, because we talk about the Omaha platform, for example, right, right. right? And we think of the farmers out west, but the farmers were also a big you know, voting block and group of people in the South, we don't give them enough credit. I don't. Yeah, think. One, and one of the things we think of Florida and you think of farming. Uh, I don't. It's cattle. Too, cattle. Cattle is the big one. Sugar too in the South, but cattle is the real. And later oranges. Exactly. 
Orange juice, <laughs> That's it. Tropicana. I don't know. We don't, we're losing these well, it's things. A diff- it's a different kind of farmer, though. Like, because when you think of the West, you think of like the grains and all those necessary exactly. things. And Florida's Florida was very unique. But apparently, from my research, we had a very active farmers alliance, and they were part of the National Farmers Alliance. Now, if you think back to the populists and the Grange movement and the farmers alliances, what were some of the things that they were trying to? Uh, resist. They're trying to resist the railroads, mm-hmm. the transportation. I mean, the obstacles in their way as far as uh, you know the high costs. And these railroads were monopolies, so they exactly. could charge higher rates. That's exactly it. And we have two big railroad monopoly guys that we've already discussed in American Scuttlebutt. We have Henry, Henry, and Henry Flagler and Plant. Yes. So they're building these railroads, and they're doing exactly what you said: monopolies, charging high prices. It's expensive for farmers to transport their goods. So, there's a huge farmers movement in Florida, and actually they convince the ne- their, the rest of the farmers, I guess, to hold a Farmers Alliance National Convention in Ocala in 1890. So, a national event happening in Florida. I didn't, right. you know, back then, we've talked about this, it's a swampy mess. Like, you don't think of it being even on anyone's, I don't know, radar? Sure. Um but they come up with their own platform, the Ocala platform, rather than the Omaha platform that we hear about usually in U.S. history. And it's the same things they want. They want regulating the railroads. The government needs to regu- regulate the railroads. They want silver coinage. And they want the direct election of senators. Oh, very interesting. Kind of, yeah. that kind of goes along with what we've already heard with our uh, Robert LaFollette. And the direct election, elect direct primaries. Sure. Right? Because everybody wants to be able to be involved in the process where they weren't allowed to before because all these corrupt politicians have taken over. Um, the downfall, though, from my research, the reason that the Southern Farmers Alliances, you know, Florida, Georgia, all those were not as successful as some of the ones in the North is apparently because they really don't do a good job of joining with the colored farmers alliances interesting right so african americans primarily in those groups had their own a version of this and a lot of times in the western states you know or the further north you go they're more accepting of the the colored quote-unquote colored farmers alliances and they were able to work together in florida not so much florida had a very active kkk in the progressive era sure and um it didn't work out for them. So they don't they don't get the national attention that maybe like the populist party will in the north uh, because they don't know how to unify their base. Right. And the other thing that Florida's got that um, the other states don't. You know, I did a little research myself in this mm-hmm. time period. Uh, and that's the uh, the Florida land boom which happens mm-hmm. in the 1920s. A lot of these ranchers start selling their land, trying to think they're going to make more money with those railroads that came down. We talked about last time, uh, the, the farm land becomes more expensive um, for the railroads. You know, we're going to see later on that the, the highways will come in and then we'll have more residents, more population. So um, my guess would be that they didn't, um, you know, the, the, the pressure will hit Florida pretty hard mm-hmm. and, and people won't, that land will wind up crashing and, and will not make the kind of money that maybe the farm land up north would have. Right. It's just, it's never a good situation for the farmers, like ever, in any no, any part of the country. So, Especially the individual farmers. That's yes. why they had to incorporate and become... Uh, like their own labor union, yes. almost. They had to like unionize themselves, just like we'd see in the, in the factories. Quick quiz. What do we call that? What's a labor 
group cooperative of farmers during the late 1800s. The Grange movement? The, the Grange movement. All you students should have known it. Miss Velasquez knew it. Uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a short Florida Fruifer. That's really it. A lot of this we've kind of, it gets incorporated with the Gilded Age. So, yeah. you know. But that's, that's part of it. Yeah. It's the extra. It's the decorative extra. The frou-frou. The frou-frou. Thank you so much, Ms. Velasquez. Thank you. This has been a great episode of American Scuttlebutt. It sure has. We'll see you next time. Where we cover imperialism. Oh, exciting. Isn't it? At war. Cannons. More TR. More TR. Woo! More TR. Bye. Bye. <laughs>